0: Well, I was uh, I was waving at Zoe up there. Zoe, uh Katie, um you know, I wanted to say this. A lot of people don't know this. Katie helps me with a majority of what I say. And usually if it's um if it's a little shaky, then that means she didn't help. Uh she makes a tremendous difference and I just wanted to make a point to to thank her for her help because when I speak it is. Uh, it is. I really feel like it is three of us speaking, the Lord, me, and and Katie as well. And so, just wanna, just wanna say that. Another thing that Katie does though is Katie also teaches Zumba, which some of you all have been to the rec, and you've been in Katie's Zumba class. Alec, you've been many times, more times than me. That's a compliment. But uh, one thing about Zumba that I really like. Um, well, not Zumba, but the rec actually. One thing I. I I like working out at the REC. I work out at the REC often. Some of y'all have seen me there. Uh, Dang. Mm, My man. But, uh, yeah, so I I try to work out at the REC, and I am, you know, I got to admit, I'm one of those guys who, um, you know, he works out upstairs more than downstairs. I say that because I'm getting a little older, and so cardio matters to me, and look, there's just a monopoly on the cardio machines upstairs in the wreck. And so you can't really do cardio downstairs. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all looking at me like maybe you've never been in the wreck. When you go into the wreck that is at WVU, there's an upstairs and a downstairs. They have weights on both floors. And on the upstairs, there's like a ton of cardio machines. You could do like Stairmaster or Elliptical or something like that. And I like to run on the treadmill because – well, though Morgantown has a lot of places to run, the weather here sucks. And so it's not fun running outside most days, especially in between, um, I guess, winter, which lasts from about October to June. And so, <laughs> but you know, you go to the wreck, and, and what do you see? Like upstairs, you got the. So if you go to the wreck upstairs, you see that it is possible to do cardio. It is quite possible. Uh, some other things that are possible upstairs in the wreck. What else is possible? It's possible to work out with a bunch of girls if you're a girl. And it's possible to feel awkward if you're a guy because there's mostly girls up there. It's not possible to get your swole on up there because they don't have many free weights. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about. There's mostly machines up there. So you can't get, you can't get buff up there. Like you got to go downstairs for that. You know, when you go downstairs, well, actually, another thing that's, uh, that is nice about working out upstairs, your, your nose will smell, will enjoy it, because it smells better up there. <laughs> downstairs, it's a different smell. That's all I'm going to say. It's a whole lot better than it used to be, though, because people who were here last year and before know that for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to put carpet like this in a weight room, and so carpet and sweat, that's a great idea. And so the smell was pungent, to say the least, and it was, it was rough working out down there. But what is nice about working out downstairs in the wreck? You can do something that I like, box jumps. Yeah. That's possible, that's possible down there. It's possible to get your swole on down there. It's impossible to play your smooth jazz playlist. Because the music is a bit louder down there. These, these are some things that are possible and impossible in the wreck. Because in the wreck, within the wreck, there are, there's a thing called a culture. Not just in the entire building, but within different areas of the building. Like if you want to go swim, if you're going to wear jeans to the pool at the wreck, they're going to ask you to leave. If you wear, uh, what was it basketball shorts? Damani can tell you that they will respectfully but firmly tell you to leave. Uh, they can't be white because, as hey, he can tell you from experience, they be, it, is, it is they have had many run-ins with this, and it is quite uncomfortable for everyone who has eyes, and so they they respectfully but firmly tell you that you can't wear white basketball shorts. they just discourage basketball shorts, but what you, what can you wear? What can you wear there? Swimming trunks you can wear a bikini that'd be kind of weird. You could wear like a a speedo, which but no man, no self respecting man should ever wear a speedo. so that should be impossible, even though it is possible in there. look, I know this sounds ridiculous. What I'm saying is in the wreck. Within this one building, there is not a culture in the wreck. There are many cultures. You go to the rock wall, and that's a whole nother thing. I don't even go there. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not cool enough. I don't understand, you know, I'm going to put my hand in the wrong place, and then they yell at me. I just don't even try it. But they have They have like expectations there, certain things that you do and certain things that you don't do, because that's the way that things are done. You go upstairs, you go downstairs, you go in the basketball court. There's different cultures in these places. Look, you go on the basketball court and you just try to start playing a game in the middle of another game, you will get yelled at. There's a culture in the wreck, and that's how it is on this campus. On this campus, there is not a WVU culture. There are many cultures within the WVU campus. That's how the world works. Tonight, we're going to talk about culture. We're going to finish our conviction series and we're talking about culture. In Matthew chapter 5, there's a passage which many of you are familiar with because it's a pretty quoted scripture. And so Jesus is talking about salt, and he's talking about what a Christian is. He says a Christian is salt. And then he goes on to talk about how a Christian is light as well, but we're not going to go into that. Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Mmm, interesting. A lot of times when people talk about salt and they talk about this passage, they talk about salt and its uses in the the kitchen, how it's a preservative, how it enhances the flavor of something. But in Luke 14.34 and 35, Luke adds a little bit that Matthew doesn't say. He says, salt is good, but if salt loses its, loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It is neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. It is neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus says specifically here what, in what way he's talking about salt. He's not talking about salt in the kitchen. He's talking about salt, the salt that back then they would go and get salt from the Dead Sea. I don't want to go into all the different aspects of the Dead Sea, but the one thing that you need to know about the Dead Sea is it has no outlet. Water only comes in, but water doesn't flow out. And so it's filled with a lot of unpleasant things because it doesn't have something It doesn't have anywhere to release it. And so it's full of a lot of things, and salt is one of them. So that they would go and dig into the soil there, get salt. And it it was uh, basically what they did with the salt was it was either for fertilizer or it was salt that you threw on a dung heap. Those are the two purposes of, of salt that he's talking about. Jesus says the purpose of salt is either fertilizer for a field To make a good thing happen, or it's a disinfectant for a dung heap. To stop the spread of evil. That's what he's pointing to when he talks about salt. And he says, this is what you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are to make good things happen, make them possible, and to make negative things to limit their growth. Hmm. Culture, culture is a fun word. I like culture. It's one of those vague words. It's almost like hip hop to me. You ask somebody what is hip hop, they usually don't have anything. They're like, ah, yeah, you know, uh, Kanye, yeah, and and like J Cole and and them. Like they they don't really have like a definition. Like people don't know how to differentiate between hip hop and rap usually. And culture seems to be, like, a, like, in the same, like, nebulous, like, weird area where people are like, oh, yeah. They, they use the word culture a lot, but they actually don't know what culture means. Or they don't know, like, how to define it clearly. Culture, the definition for culture that you would find in the dictionary, culture is the sum of attitudes, customs, beliefs that distinguishes one group of people from another. Hmm. That doesn't really help much in understanding it. If you talk to Christopher, though, Christopher will talk to you. Where are you, Christopher? There you are. If you talk to Christopher, Christopher is always down to talk about culture. It's one of his favorite words. He, especially if you're talking about a mission trip, Christopher, he will. In in talking about culture, he will probably bring up the fact that you shouldn't go to another country and not finish your meal, especially if you're eating at someone's house. See, there you go. He is very passionate about this, and that's why we made sure on our Atlanta mission trip over spring break, we ate all the food. We ate it all. We ate, it was like, we ate ate too much food. We ate the food that they weren't even serving. We ate all that food. So yeah, we ate it. Just remember that. Some of y'all got that. But culture, some people think about that when they think of culture, they think of other countries, they think of. Something related to that. Some people think about biology, science, culture, bacteria, uh, culti- cult, you know, you culture, cultivate uh, tissues and bacteria in this medium. You know what I'm talking about? Some of the scientists in the room? A couple of y'all. I, I was in this class, microbiology, a few years ago when I was still in school. And microbiology, I really enjoyed that class. The lab was too long, the lab was four hours long. But in this lab, we had Bunsen burners that were going all the time. So you came into class and the Bunsen burner was on, and you walked out of the class and the Bunsen burner was on. Look, that's, that doesn't seem wise to me, but it's not my lab, so they could do whatever they want. We walk in and the Bunsen burners are on, and you know everybody has a lab partner in this in this class, and so my lab partner, well, she had a lot of hair. Some of y'all already know where this story is going. And in having a lot of hair it was it was really cool. It like went up, you know, kinda like Jessica's hair. It was like, you know, it just it was up, which is cool, but it's not helpful when you have a Bunsen burner near you. And so one day I was writing some of the notes because we were looking at the culture, our bacteria and our little, you know, thing file. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I couldn't remember the word, Petri dish. And I look up and her hair is smoking. And it's funny colors that heat makes because it was on fire, and I was like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh!" And she was like, "What? What?" And then everybody else looks up and they're like, oh! It's just like, "What?" And I was like, "Ooh!" I couldn't figure out what to say. I, just, I didn't have any words. Like I was like, "Her hair is on fire." I couldn't I Just I can say it now. I couldn't say it then. And so she realized. She runs out of the. Well, she first she goes like. ah! And then she runs out and everybody's dead quiet for like five minutes and then she comes back and then she's like laughing and she's like, I didn't lose that much hair. It smelled kind of funny in the class, but yeah, hey, Bunsen burners and hair that goes up. Christian, watch out, man. Look, it's real. The struggle is real. The danger is real. Watch out. But that's not the culture we're talking about today. We're talking about culture, specifically the kind of culture that, well, that we're trying to build here at WVU. Yeah, the culture we're trying to build here at WVU. In his book, uh, Culture Making, Andy Crouch used to be a chaplain or whatever at Harvard University, kind of a smart guy. He he talks about culture-making or world-changing, and he talks about this idea of culture-making is making things possible that were impossible. In fact, to say it exactly how he said it, he says making things possible that were impossible and perhaps even more importantly, making things impossible that were once possible. When you put this together, it adds up to world-building or culture-making. And he says that 's what that's what that's what God has called us to as Christians, and Jesus is saying the exact same thing, or really he 's saying what Jesus said and talking about making good things possible and then making bad things impossible this whole semester we 've been in this conviction series, and we 've been talking about different things where these different convictions we have, and this whole series has been based around this idea. Of making things possible here and beyond that are good, and making things impossible in our lives and in the lives of the people around us here at WVU, and for those who are graduating and moving on, so that you could be a culture maker wherever you go. This is about changing things. We want to be culture makers here at WVU. Now, some of you are like, man. You, might have, you probably should have started the, the year with this one because it's like, it's like nine days left in the year. What are you going to do? Cool thing about this is this isn't necessarily about what we are going to do. It is, but it's also a lot about what we have been doing, what we have been about. Like, think about some of the things that we're trying to make possible. Charles talked about the bitterness cycle last month. He talked about how bitterness bitterness is basically something that we don't want in our lives. We want to be people who can forgive. So we want to make bitterness impossible and forgiveness possible in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Or you think about what Damani talked about with Nate and the community that Nate has around him. Ever since Nate has been with us, Nate has been one of the beacons of community and what community should look like. He has made it possible for people to go, for guys to to come around him and have fun, to laugh, to grow in Christ, and to do it all together because he opens up his home, he opens up his life, he opens up his every part of, like, like, He's making community possible. He is making a culture here at WVU. This whole thing is, this whole semester, it's been about us having a kingdom culture, us becoming a certain kind of people so that good things can abound and negative things, well, they would would lessen or they would be... They would have boundaries around them. This is the exact same thing that Rachel talked about a few weeks ago when she talked about the soil, the soil of this Chi Alpha, the soil of this group, so that when people come here, they can grow. And so that they can grow in the things that they want to grow in the most. And it's so cool hearing what Damani had to say because I'm right there with him. Sometimes my words are not the most uplifting. And so what was possible was not for people to be encouraged around me sometimes when we were hanging out. That wasn't possible. But we talked about honor, and we talked about having a culture where it is possible for people to be encouraged, to feel bigger, to to feel valued and important when they're in our presence. All of this, all of this is about building a culture. I think it's so cool, I have a picture Up here, I don't usually do this, but, well, the lighting in here doesn't help with things like this. So I'm going to just, that is, that's the opposite. There we go. That is a picture of not here, but right next door. Three years ago, almost to the day, is the very last Chi Alpha. The reason, I kid you not, this is, I took a picture of this (laughs) because I was so amazed that so many people were there. I'm not joking. Like it's there's like there's 20 people there. You can see Damani, There's Jeff with a lot more hair. There's Taylor. I don't think there's anyone else who. Where's Blake? Is Blake in here? Blake was here. I don't see him. Yeah, You're prof. <laughs> <laughs> you you did you did come a lot, Blake. You should be. You. You're there somewhere. Actually, Blake did like to sit in the back, even though no one was in the back. So you you are probably there. You just in the back. You didn't make it in the picture. But there's 20 people in that room, and I was so amazed that so many people were here. So I was like, "Oh, this is amazing. This is awesome. I got to take a picture of this. This might never happen again." No, I, I didn't think that. But I was so amazed that there were 20 people here. Funny thing about that picture, though, is five of those people didn't even go to WVU. They were visiting. (laughs) so let's see if we can get this right there we go the reason I show that picture though is because I remember I remember meeting so many students that year that was before the team showed up this was three years ago for six months Katie and I lived here before the rest of our staff team showed up and we had small group and we had Kai Alpha every other week but it was so cool being here It was so cool seeing, hearing the stories, but it was a little sad, talking to people like Taylor, because one thing that Taylor will tell you was that when she got here, she did what we heard a lot of people talk about, which was there were people who were Christians before they came to WVU, and they didn't necessarily want to get involved with some of the things that WVU is most known for, so what did they do? They hid to survive. And they had story after story of friends who didn't hide. And then they got sucked in. And they were never to be seen again. No, they—they, but it didn't work out the best for many of them. And so they hid away. Because this room wasn't possible then. This community wasn't possible. I remember talking to so many upperclassmen who were like, "Man, I wish I wish that I was a freshman now. I wish that I had I wish that I had options. I wish I had this option available to me. I think it's so cool to watch the culture that you all are building. The Lord is using you to do stuff that is like stuff that wasn't possible for people is now possible. There are people who are like Taylor who no longer have to go and hide though. They can come here and immediately come into I think about Chelsea. You were here you were here since the beginning of this year and, and immediately you were here. Like it was like you just appeared. But you've been here all year. You didn't have to have a period where you were hiding away. You didn't have to have a period where there was nothing going on. Like, immediately, you are in community. That's available to you. That's possible. I think about some people who, they don't know what they believe. The reason you came here to Chi Alpha is because you were curious. But before, there wasn't much out there for somebody who was curious. And so, with a few options, you got into what? most people get into here, and never to be seen again. I'm not saying that it was impossible to walk with the Lord here at WVU, but those students told me, and many who aren't here anymore told me, it was near impossible. It was near impossible. But you guys have made that possible. Not me. You. You guys have sacrificed people like Nate who've modeled community and have loved one another. Rachel, what you've built around you, what you've made possible. Culture making, you're already making culture. This is kind of a question of whether you realize how big of a deal what you're doing is. This was three years ago. I remember, I thought it was so funny. People told me, oh, man, you know that, you know that you're in the northeast, right? Or you're going to the northeast. I came from the south, Bible Belt, a lot of churches around, a lot. Hey, I like the Bible Belt. That—that's my home. But people told me what you were a part of, where you came from. You came from a big campus ministry. Don't expect that to happen at WVU. That's not—that's not possible. You're going to the Northeast. You're going to a place where a room like this can't happen. And they said it would be over a decade before we would see something like this possible. And you've proved them wrong. You have persevered with the Lord. And you have made some things possible that were once impossible here. I think about people who, I think about people who, some people wondered, can you be a small group leader and be a good student? I remember Taylor almost didn't become a small group leader because of this question. A few of y'all didn't become small group leaders. But you believed and you tried, and one, you proved that it is possible to thrive as a student And to be a good small group leader. And not only have you set a high standard academically, but you've also filled up this room. You've done it. You've let the Lord use you. My heart is so full hearing hearing y'all's stories. Thinking about Jeff, Damani, Taylor, Nate, Rachel, Haley. Y'all have been with us since the beginning. And you've made this possible because you've trusted God, and you let him take, take you where he wanted to take you. And you've created something on this campus that <laughs> it's really cool. But in thinking about this idea of culture-making, there is a negative side to it, keeping back what is not good. And rather than tell stories about people who've done that, because well, some of those stories are just a little, little too personal, I'm going to read a couple quotes. The first one is from a guy, some of you all know him, named Malcolm Gladwell. He has a book, Tipping Point. Cool book. It's kind of fun. In it, though, he talks about the crime rate in New York and blah, blah, blah. Not going to go way into it, but he talks about how the crime rate in New York was lessened because of one of the things was this theory that I'm about to read to you all. It's called the Broken Window Theory. He says, the most intriguing candidate For that something else is the broken window theory. Broken windows was a brainchild of the criminologist James Q. Wilson and George Kelling. Wilson and Kelling argued that crime is the inevitable result of disorder. If a window is broken and left unrepaired, people walking by will conclude that no one cares about it and no one is in charge. Soon more windows will be broken and the sense of anarchy will spread from the building to the street on which it faces, sending a signal that, that anything goes. In a city, relatively minor problems like graffiti, public disorder, and aggressive panhandling, they write, are all the equivalent of broken windows, invitations to a more serious crimes. The reason I say this, the reason I'm reading this, is because in the history of the church, there have been different ways that we've tried to go about being a disinfectant. Sometimes it was through violence, and that gave a really, bit, a really bad black eye to Christianity, and it didn't work out well. Go and read your history books. Sometimes coercion was used. Persecution was used. And that didn't work so well either. In fact, it didn't work at all. The only way that it worked was the way that it worked at the beginning and the way that it has continued to work in communities that thrive. That is through love. It's through exactly what Damani talked about. Jesus said the greatest two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We don't fight, by try- we don't fight evil by trying to, to get in its face and yell at it, to argue with it to make it look bad, to prove it wrong, we fight it with love. We fight it with a totally opposite spirit. And what that does is it communicates value and importance and appreciation to the thing that we're fighting for. What he's talking about in this theory is that when an area is clearly unloved, people continue to treat it like it it isn't lovable. And when an area clearly is love, when you clean up the graffiti, when you, clean, when you fix the broken windows, when you have standards, all of a sudden, people treat it differently. People treat it like it's valuable. People treat it like there's something more to this. A better example is, and this is a longer quote, so I'll put your seat belts on. G.K. Chesterton, some of you have heard this from the book Orthodoxy, so good. He talks about Rome and he says Pimlico, but I changed it out and I made it Morgantown. And so we'll just say Morgantown. He talks about an area being loved and it being changed because it was loved. He says, let us suppose we are confronted with a desperate thing. Say Morgantown. If we think that it is really best for Morgantown, if we think what is really best for Morgantown, we shall find the thread of thoughts lead to the throne of the mystic and the arbitrary. It is not enough for man to to disapprove of Morgantown. In that case he may merely kill himself or move away somewhere like Pittsburgh or Washington DC. Nor certainly is it enough for a man to approve of Morgantown, for then it will remain Morgantown, which would be awful. The only way out seems to be for somebody to love Morgantown, to love it with a transcendental tie, and without any earthly reason. If there arose a man who loved Morgantown, then Morgantown would rise into ivory towers and golden pinnacles. If men love Morgantown as mothers love children, arbitrarily, because it is theirs, Morgantown in a year or two might be fairer than Florence. Some readers will say that this is mere fantasy. I answer that this is the actual history of mankind. This, as a fact, is how cities did grow great, Go back to the darkest roots of civili- civilization, and you will find them knotted around some sacred stone or encircling some sacred well. People first paid honor to a spot, and afterwards it, gained glory, for it and afterwards gained glory for it. Men did not love Rome because she was great; she was great because they had loved her. Isn't that so good? A place has to be loved before it can be lovable, and the way that we push back, the way that we limit negative things is by bringing value and love and honor to an area. I live on Grant. Some of y'all know this, and Grant is not the prettiest of streets, but it's clear every time I walk by Grant that no one loves it. People destroy whatever they want. They treat it however they want. They don't care about it. They don't value it. And so it's clear. People don't clean up after whatever they do. And it's clear. And so there's no value there in people's eyes. And so things just continue on as they, already, as they were before. We are trying to build a culture here at WVU A culture that goes beyond. We're trying to build something here. And it's already starting and it's growing. You know, next year we're not going to be able to fit into this room anymore. We'll have to be somewhere else. Because people's lives are being changed. Because of how you guys are laying down your lives and sacrificing. I think it's so cool. Y'all about to go home for the summer. I know so many stories. I was about to tell Nate's story, but then I was going to tell it wrong, so thankfully I'm not going to tell Nate's story anymore. But I know so many stories of people who've had their lives impacted in some way for Christ here at WVU or somewhere else, and then they go back home to a family that isn't necessarily as excited about Jesus as they are. And what do they do? Some of these Kingdom principles, kingdom cultural things that, like reading the Bible, which we talked about earlier this semester, like prayer. These things, they just do in front of their family, not to convict them, not to make them feel bad, not to preach at them. They go to church over the summer, not because, and nobody's asking them to. Think about people like Brandon and Jordan who started a summer summer Bible study. And invited other people in the area to that. Holden was a part of that. Back home. They made it. They made they took these things outside of this culture. And started a whole new culture. And I know so many people who have families who are forever different because of that. Heather Milstead. Some of y'all remember Heather. Heather's brother was a drug dealer. And, and her dad was a drug abuser. And her mom wasn't much better and Heather prayed for them and loved them and started an entirely new culture in that house and all of them are walking with Jesus now because of that some of you are about to graduate I have a friend one of my favorite stories of someone who graduated he graduated was in Caiaphas where I was he was in my resource and then he went on and you know he worked for some oil company he still does but he went and joined this church, served the church, was faithful to the church, and realized that there was, like, no one else in church who was his age. And that's, that's sadly the case. Many churches, there's, like, this big gap in between, like, the age of, like, 18 to 35. And he was like, well, what can I do about this? So he just started inviting friends to a Sunday school class and to church. And I remember going to speak at that Sunday school class, and there were 40 people in that Sunday school class all under the age of 27, all out of college. He started an entirely new culture in that church. How? How do you create culture? How do you do this? You just love Jesus in front of people. This... This series, this, or this, this sermon, doesn't have a big how to it in the sense where you got to go and do this and you got to go and do this. You honestly just keep doing what you've been doing. I would probably say that the most, probably the most relevant scripture for, for this, for culture building, is Galatians 6 9. Do not grow weary of doing good, for you will, grow, you will reap a harvest in due time. One thing about culture-making is you can't build culture in a day. You can kill a culture in a day. We know that because of the power of words. We've seen it. You can destroy some stuff real fast. You can tear down a building in a day, but you can't build it in a day. And it's the same thing with culture. If you persevere, if you love Jesus, if you try, if you don't give up, if you don't let the hard questions defeat you, if you, don't, if you continue to seek answers for your hard questions, if you continue to love people and not give up on them when they don't treat you well in return, when they don't listen, when they don't appreciate it, when they don't say thank you, if you go, if you do not grow weary of doing good, you will build culture where you are but it is not easy to it is not easy to not give up. This isn't an easy thing building culture, but it's a transformative thing. I look at this. Rachel, all of you who've been here, you know this room wasn't easy. It wasn't. But the Lord is faithful. And Revelations 3 tells me that the Lord can open doors that no man can shut, and he can close doors that no man can open. Psalms 127 tells me, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Those two verses tell me two things. One, that it has to be God-dependent in order for growth to happen. Two, that if God is bringing about the growth, nothing can stand in its way. I'm really excited for the future. I'm really excited for what you all are doing. And I'm grateful for y'all. You guys have built this. The band can come back up. You guys have built this because you've trusted the Lord and you've let him use you. I'm really excited to continue to hear your stories. I'm really excited to see what else you build. But please, friends, do not grow weary of doing good. It is worth it to serve the Lord. And there will be fruit. It just may not be immediate sometimes. Culture makes things possible that were once impossible. That's what culture making is. And it's making some things that were impossible or that were possible be impossible. The last thing I want to say is, um, you know, I came from a place where Every time I go places outside of WVU, because nobody at WVU knows where, where we came from, but when we go to other places like other Chi Alphas or even just other churches, we'll go and talk to them about, like, oh man, so, you know, where are you from? I heard you're a campus minister or something. And I'm like, oh, I came from Sam Houston. And I'm like, hold on, what? You came from Sam Houston? Man, I've heard this and this and this and this. All these stories about what happened at Sam Houston, what is happening. His ministry, it's one of the largest campus ministries in the nation, all this stuff. And I remember the leader of the Chi Alpha, when Katie and I had decided that we were going to come here to WVU and we were going to try to build a Chi Alpha here to pioneer one, he took me aside after he had heard me talking to some people about, the, the reputation at WVU, you know, how every year it's ranked as one of the top ten party schools and all this stuff and how, you know, a lot of people don't think that there can be thriving campus ministries on this campus and all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. And then he took me aside and he said, you know what, Jordan, don't worry about any of that stuff. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because a lot of people don't know this. But it's Sam Houston, where we came from, Sam Houston used to be the, the school that you went to to go party. Every year, it was was one of the top ten party schools in Playboy magazine. Every year, it was the party school of Texas. And now, when when, when he said that, I was like, nah, I don't believe that. Because no one thinks of Sam Houston as a party school anymore. Yeah, partying goes on. Partying will go on everywhere. But to what extent it goes on can be totally changed. And it was changed there. He said when he got there, there was 120 people involved in all the campus ministries combined on that campus. And now, I think there's about 19,000 students at Sam Houston, and there's over 2,500 people involved in campus ministries there. That's a secular university, and that's over 10%. You tell those numbers to anybody who likes statistics in universities, and their minds will be blown. And that was 20 years ago. And that's because people like you sacrificed when they were in college. They made sacrifices. They invited people into their lives, like Nate did. They had fun with people, in front of people, modeling that Christianity can be fun, should be fun. They loved God in front of people, reading the Bible, worshiping, being unashamed of the gospel. And they rewrote the culture of Sam Houston. And I believe that you guys will be able to do that as well. It's been a privilege this semester, hearing your stories. And it will be a privilege to see what the Lord does over these next few years. We're going to have some fun, and we've had a good year. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord God, we can't build this. It's only by you. Unless you build this, Lord God, it won't happen. Build your kingdom on this campus. I pray, Lord God, for blessing over crew, over young life, over inner varsity, over chi alpha over Chestnut Ridge Church Ministry or College Ministry. Bless these ministries, Lord God. Bless the people who aren't involved in these ministries but want to see good abound on this campus and want to see it made possible. I pray, Lord God, for my friends here that they would not grow weary of doing good. It is not easy loving people. Many times people don't love you back well. But help us, Lord God, to have our eyes fixed on you and to not grow weary of doing good. And I just say thank you one more time. Such a special group of people that I'm in front of. They have no idea how special they are. Thank you for them. Bless their summers. Let us have fun this last night of Chi Alpha and bless everyone's finals. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.